Living the Dream acknowledges the traditional owners of the land it is recorded on, especially the Jagera and Turrbal peoples, elders past, present and future, and their continuing struggles for justice and self-determination. You are listening to Living the Dream, the podcast of the Hoo-Ha Group, and you're here with... John. And Dave. And John, what's your Twitter handle? At John Puccini. And mine is at with Sober Senses. And we're just sitting... We're back in the cafe. Back in no, the cafe. No longer on Skype. We're sitting opposite the Polo Club. Class <laughs> <laughs> yeah. divide is real. In, in the Brisbane CBD. And we just wanted to record a quick show today on the Bernardi Bomb. Yep. So the aim is like a 15 or 20 minute show... Mm-hmm. About the Bernardi bomb, I'm trying yeah. to promote hashtag Bernardi bomb yeah. at the moment. It's not very successful. No, uh, I don't the know other how big, you get that to the other hashtag I'm trying to promote at the moment is hashtag Jello Damas, which is a combination <laughs> of Jello Biafra and Nostradamus, and it's about how current US politics is identical to Dead Kennedy songs. That's so true. if the yeah. listeners to the podcast could use both those things, yep. that would be really great. Yep. But we'll just go. So we'll get together and we we'll have a quick chat about Senator Cory Bernardi has obviously quit the Liberal Party yesterday, Mm. further threatening um, the coalition's ability to pass legislation, what does it all mean, do we care, and so on. John? Yeah, well, why do we care? That's a good good question. Well, I mean, on the one hand, politically, it obviously makes things very difficult for the government to actually, like, A, make things difficult because Turnbull seems already to be on the out. Like, there's a ground of rumours that he won't last the next few months, and this doesn't help him at all in that context. But it also adds another player into the weird cesspit of Australian far-right politics. And I was reading an interesting article the, the, this morning, which was about, I guess, the growth of right-wing, right-wing parties. So in 2010, there were, like, 13 socially conservative I guess reactionary parties in Australia, and they gathered around three to four percent of the vote mm-hmm. in the Senate in the 2010 Senate elections. In 2016, there were 33 socially conservative parties, but they gathered between them about 16 percent of the vote. So oh wow! So the, it is a big jump, I guess, in the actual percentage of votes that they're receiving. Yeah, yeah. But it's being diffused across 33 different groupments. I think it's kind of worth considering how much, like, Australian politics, you know, over the coming year will be part of it defined by the kind of constant acting out of these yeah. parties in competition yeah. Yeah. for a kind of, like, a, for an oversaturated market. Yeah. But I was sitting in a meeting in work before we had this, and I was mm. jotting down some, no- some notes. And I guess, mm. like, for me, like, I'm interested in kind of two levels. One, understanding the terrain that contestation comes on, yep. and then does that understanding play into our concept of strategies and tactics? Mm. And guess I guess, like... What I'm really interested in is that kind of relationship we've been dancing around, which is what is the relationship between the political to the state, to the capitalist mode of production, mm. and how does this all play out within the dynamics of social reproduction, so reproducing mm. Australian society as a capitalist society, and yep. the accumulation of capital. So on yeah. my on my paper, yeah, I drew yeah. political line, state line, yep. capitalist mode of production in a circle, yeah. social reproduction <laughs> and accumulation next to it, trying to get that um, relationship. So I think at, at one level, I think it's more evidence of the kind of breakdown of the political and mm. the kind of inability yep. of... Um, political parties mm. to actually chart a vision for the state in the context of capitalist mode of production. Yep. Um, like, there were one of the things that was really interesting yesterday was the, the parliamentary budget office at the same... You know, while this was going on, yeah. published oh, yeah. a report which basically talks about what is the budgetary impact of unpassed legislation. 
Yeah. So this is kind of the cuts that the uh, Turnbull Coalition government or even the Abbott Hockey government yeah. were planning to do, and that legislation has never passed. Yeah. And so what they're predicting at the moment is that the underlying cash balance impact mm. to 2026, 27, yeah. so in 10 years, yeah. will be $42 billion. Yeah, this, right? is, um, this is stuff that hasn't passed the Senate. This is These stuff are, that hasn't passed. already being factored into the budget. Mm. Yeah. Well, these are savings they're meant to have, but yeah, they're not yeah, going to yeah. have. Yep. So I think that's kind of indicative of a, oh my God, the state is really in this fucked position of yeah, its yeah. kind of inability to yep. um, balance its budget. But yeah, also yeah. it kind of shows how incapable mm. the Abbott Hockey then Turnbull Morrison government has actually been able to pass legislation. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is kind of like radically different from how the left normally thinks about it, which are like mm. these incredibly competent, mustache twirling, yeah, Machiavellian yeah. Yeah. Sitting in polo club. <laughs> Sitting in the polo club, yeah. Enjoying their power. No, yeah. I mean, it's just complete. It, certainly in the last how many years we've had to endure this coalition, mm. these succession of coalition governments, there hasn't been any real success, I guess, in actually making a coherent narrative for what Australian capital needs and wants. Like, because this is the thing, they're talking, they are trying to balance the needs of different types of different sections of capital, mm. I suppose. But they've jumped between like so many different narratives. So well, at the moment, they're, they're back on the ABCC a little bit, but they're also pushing this whole other line of thing about like the importance of their, you know the importance of social reproduction, about childcare, about you know they're pushing this childcare reform package yeah. at the moment. I guess there's a couple of different things on this because this is kind of the counter argument. Hmm. Um, like, so on one hand, we go, all right, there's 42 billion dollars worth of savings the governments yep. haven't been able to pass. Yeah. But uh, it does look like that the ABCC legislation, so the legislation aimed against the CFMEU, yeah. um, Hinch, one of the independent senators, has yeah, come yeah. around. They're yep. going to go back to the legislation that's already passed, mm. modify it, and take yep. away the modifications. Yeah, he insisted on. And well, they're ameliorating them somewhat. I think there was a two-year. It was going to be a two-year kind of mm. lean-in period, and that's been shortened, I think, to a nine-month yeah, lean-in so, period. Um, so, I'm just quoting from the Australian here. The government is making two vital amendments. First, it is changing Hinch-driven two-year transition period back to nine months, as the government mm. initially proposed. Yep. So they're shortening the how long it'll take for the legislation to impose. Mm. The second amendment prohibits companies with non-code compliant enterprise agreements from being awarded yeah. Commonwealth government funded building work. So we That's talked about this in the we talked about this in, well, yeah, yeah. in the last show. Yeah. You know, so this is the attempt to lock out gov uh, companies that have good deals yeah, with yeah. the CFMEU CF yeah. or other unions, indeed, yeah. from yeah. winning government contracts for infrastructure process. So that's a, that's a mark for the government. Yeah, yeah. And then what we're seeing, this huge omnibus legislation that's come through yeah. um, in Parliament today where they're trying to push through all their childcare reforms and welfare yeah. changes. Yeah. Who fuck if it'll go through? So yeah, like yeah. my kind of argument, they can't really do anything. They're a bit fucked. There are some yeah. counter-arguments, um, yeah. I guess, on the other side. Because I was like, you know, last week there was a speech by Shorten and there was a speech by Turnbull and then both at the National Press Club, where yeah. they both kind of laid their out agendas. their agenda for the year, right? So, yeah. Shorten's was fucking laughably bad, mm. um, where, you know, the ALP's going to be saying growth through training, yeah, right? Yeah, so if we yeah, train yeah. people more, we'll get yeah. growth, and, and the Liberal government... Train them in the jobs <laughs> of the past. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, the, and the coalition was saying, you know, if we cut taxes, mm. we'll get investment. Yeah. And I was going, okay, I'm going to sit down. I started writing about this. Yeah, then, yeah. you know, like, Bernardi leaves. It's like, what's the fucking point here? Yeah, you know? like, yeah, yeah. That's still in the idea that there's actually going to be an effective party yeah. that actually yeah. has a strategy that'll yeah. be able to be implemented. Yeah. And I think that's not what we're going to see. No. You know. 
And I mean, the context of this is that pretty much the same day that it became official that Bernardi, that he pulled the pin, the grenade Dropped was the thrown, bomb. that the bomb was dropped. Um, there was this, this um, survey, the news poll, which basically said 29% of Australians, if an election was held then, would have voted for a minor party, which includes the Greens. Once you discount the Greens, it's 19% of people who are voting for a collection of far-right fringe parties. Wow. Effectively. So this, I guess, like... Well, not you know, necessarily far-right, counting the Xenophons and whatnot, yeah. but certainly on the right. Yeah. So we've been um, kind of, you know, readers and supporters of left flanks anti-politics yeah, thesis, yeah. I yep. think since yep. we've done the show and yep. so like on one hand I think this represents um, more validation for that thesis yeah, yeah. which is that um, the kind of basis for political parties has eroded you know yeah. arguably because of the changes over the last 30 years what yeah. they call but on you know neoliberalism yeah. um, so we can see these kind of political parties have less social weight they're fracturing yeah. around these kind of ideological lines yeah. but I think you know what Bernardi is engaged in himself is mm. not really a form of anti-politics. No, I think you're right. Did you yeah. watch his speech at all? No, but I read little bits of it and I enjoyed perusing the Australian Conservative Party's website. In the team, it's just him. Someone should let Bernardi know that while there is a me in team, he's not really okay for you just to feel the team of one. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's a weird kind of, his actual policy platform, if you could say there is one, is like a mixture of, I guess, kind of like grab bags of kind of the far right anti-immigrant stuff, mm. but then also kind of trying to tap into the long Adelaidean tradition of kind of religious-based political formations, I guess, if, like in terms of farm, in terms of family first. So I don't know how, what his relationship will be to, kind of, because family first doesn't really exist as a, as a like, entity anymore. Well, I guess that's, there's two vacant Senate positions yeah, uh, yeah. as well. The thing that I thought was really kind, you know, I watched mm. Bernardi's speech yeah. when he left, and it was kind of like, he, on one hand he goes, he took an anti-political stance, which was people are no longer engaged in politics, and yeah. he mentioned the term political class, yeah, which interestingly right. shortened, yeah. also mentioned the term yeah, political no, totally. class in yeah. press conference. So this shows how the language of anti-politics has entered onto the terrain of the political. Yeah. But then yeah. his next thing was like, this has happened because politicians are too interested in basically the politics of their own self-promotion, and we need better politics yeah. by returning to principle. So yeah. this is not like, you know, he's not an Australian Trump in the no. sense that an Australian Trump would be like, go out going, you're all yeah. fucked, right? Yeah, I'm going right. to drain yeah. the swamp, you know, like yeah, really yeah. a magnet to resentment. Yeah. Rather, it's kind of like this faux aristocratic bearing yeah, yeah. that if only I return to yeah, this yeah. holy grail of like... Yeah. Um, in that know, way, he's much closer to the Tea Party and other kind of constitutional fanatics in America, mm. like kind of the right-wing constitutional fanatics, I guess, who see that, you know, there's been a corruption of the American values and we need to return to that. So I guess more the Ted Cruz yeah. style, of gov style of politics more so than the Trump school of politics. He's not a Trumpian in any way. I mean, he's not a celebrity billionaire or pretend billionaire yeah. for starters. And, you know... Like not, he's he, not a kind of radical populist outsider, right? No, like, like he's, if anything, um, he's like kind of one of the more silver spoons. Well, well, at least cultivates that. Yeah, he that cultivates that. that opinion, but whatever his yeah. actual... Life yeah. might have been. And also, you know, so I think that's kind of interesting. Um, I guess the other yeah. thing, you know, uh, Rob, friend of the show, yes. <laughs> has been joking about, like, well, maybe kind of half joking, yeah. if we would ever see, like, a grand coalition mm. between, like, the Turnbull Centre and the ALP. Yeah. Right? Like, um, it's not. You know, in the, I, I guess post Second World War, we've yeah. been used to the Australian yeah. politics is defined by two the yeah. centre right and the centre left party. That's right. Yeah. How long has that been the case, you know, that. 
Yeah, I mean, the idea of, like, there's, there weren't really proper political parties in Australia until really the 1850s, I suppose. And then it was really, like, an emerging division between, on the one hand, a kind of kind of conservatives and free trade liberals. Mm. So the free, and the, the free trade liberals were tied into, I guess, the idea of new, new liberalism, in a way, which was more that, you know, yes, we, need, we want liberal economic policies in terms of trade, but we also need social welfare and social justice provisions yeah. that, are, that are kind of run by the state. Yeah. So that was when the original, the labor movement was born out of that particular, and in reliance with the free trade, with the free trade liberals, basically. But in the 1880s, 1870s, that disjunction, there's a real disjunction there, and the ALP stuff forms. So basically, you're only looking at the ALP forms in the 1890s, right? And that's mm. really as a response to liberalism. Yeah. As a response to the false equality, yeah. the false, um, false egalitarianism of, of the liberal project that, that basically sees working class people as not needing to have their own voices, you know, we'll, yeah. not, we'll, you know, we'll speak for them. So the Labour yeah. Party emerges at that time and goes through a number of convoluted splits. But the Liberal Party, as we know, doesn't take, any, doesn't take form really until arguably the 1940s. And in reaction, in to, reaction to, to the, the Labour movement. Yeah, and in reaction to the failures of their own... The thing is that the Liberals, that the United... Because formerly they've been the United Australia Party, which was seen and was a tool of big business. Like, they had to... Like Menzies undertook a task of reinventing Australian liberalism and conservatism as something that was more than just literally the tools of the business yeah. class. Like, there was a wide perception at that time that, that, that the UAP was literally just a tool, of the, tool of, the, of the business class. So they had to reinvent that with the idea of, like, mm. Menzies' forgotten people, you know, the invention of the middle class and all these other things that so, are happening. So I time. guess, you know, we see, like, um, the presence of political parties yeah. within the Australian parliamentary yeah. system as yeah. kind of the product of certain historical circumstances, yep. and that can change. Yep. Like, I think, though, on the other hand, there's been that kind of, like, false dawn around the yeah. ni- beginning of the 1990s when... Yep. Um, the independents and the Democrats started winning a proportion of the vote. Yep. There was this pro- pro- proclamation that political party was dead, but that certainly mm. hasn't hasn't happened either. No, um, they've certainly creeped on in a zombieish fashion. If anything else, I mean, there've been other kind of you know like the Greens. Obviously, this is the thing. So the, the, the coalition is suffering at the moment from this fracturing. There was an article by Paul Kelly in the in the Australian, I think, this morning. He was like. You know, the, the, this is that Trumpism is not a victory of conservatism, and he's right on that point. It isn't, but he's saying you know that it's actually a, a pox on all the political class. But it's only the conservatives who have allowed themselves to be dragged into it, while okay. Labor's maintained this kind of separation. I think that that's not quite right because I think Labor's been suffering with this for a lot longer. Actually, if you go back to the Nuclear Disarmament Party, which then became the Greens, yeah. really in a way, like they've been suffering from vote loss to the Greens for over a decade now. So this yeah. is just the Liberals are getting a little bit of a begin to enjoy this now. And I, and I guess as I guess as well, like one of the other responses we're seeing from all the political parties is that they always that they you know, like part of what they're doing is is more yeah. like they're all ramping up the nationalist language mm. in the way that they can. So yeah. Bill Shorten's speech at the press club, more yeah. you know, racialized nationalist anti four five seven visa stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Turnbull started talking about secure borders more and more. That yeah. kind of shit too. So yeah. I guess like, you know, Bernardi Bomb what does it mean? More evidence of the anti-political, not yep. particularly an anti-political figure itself. No. You know, the government is getting some lines through, but what we're seeing at a time when I think capital and accumulation in Australia still looks pretty weak, and I want to say a couple of things about, about that, the ability of the coalition government to implement an agenda yep. Fragile as it always been, if, if not even more fragile. Yeah. Yeah. So, like two things I, I want to say on that is so uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia um, did its announcement yesterday that it's not going to change 
um, the bank rate. So you know that's the interest rate that it sets effect effectively um, works as a way of set of trying to calibrate interest rates through the entire economy. And they gave a statement that was kind of read as being quite upbeat. So. Um, but if you read that statement, it's quite weird. It normally says something's going good, something's going bad, something's going good, something's going bad. Yeah. I think we've got to have a kind of understanding of the role that language plays within yeah. the Reserve Bank of Australia. So yeah. Christian Marazzi has a really great pamphlet where he talks about central banks and language. Can we link to that? Uh, maybe. Okay, maybe. Because cool. um, I don't know if it did actually exist digitally. Okay, um, cool. Yep. But like so, basically, the argument is that you know. So what central banks try to do is influence lending in the economy on the whole. Yep. So part of that is how they set interest rates, mm. but also because the behaviour in a finance in finance markets, and we live yeah. in a financialised economy, yeah. people act in ways not just on what they think, but what yeah. on they think their market thinks. Yeah. So the kind of language the central bank uses about the future also impacts that behaviour. So I think yep. central banks are aware of that, so they speak in a particular kind of way. Yeah, but I think what it also kind of shows in terms of the stuff, like um, with the inability of the political machinery of this, any kind of... I don't know, we had a weird interruption then. Okay, let's get back to where we were. Um, um, I was saying that, you know, like they've, the, the Reserve Bank has really lost its... Um, as lost seemingly faith in the ability of itself to actually really implement and to change and, and, and to change policy, I think? Well, I think there's been a kind of global conversation among central banks, yeah, which yeah. was we went into this world of unorthodox monetary policy, and Australia yeah. certainly didn't go as far as other countries, yeah. basically to stop the roof falling in. Hmm. Um, what it has done has then created other instabilities because it's helped fuel these huge debt bubbles. Hmm. What the fuck else can we do? Yeah. So, you know, central banks are constantly trying to say, and the voices for central banks, well, on one hand, you have the Bank of International Settlements, which mm. is quite a conservative global force, which is really fucking worried about debt, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Whilst you've got other voices which are like, for God's sake, just build some roads. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, do some stimulative like behaviour yeah. um, <laughs> while you've got the, uh, the ability to do that. Mm. Um, so I think, I think that, that's that. And then the chart pack came out. So that's a bunch of statistics from the central bank. Yeah. But if you, if from Reserve Bank of Australia, if you generally look at it, all the lines are going down, right? So yeah, what yeah. we're seeing is, you know, growth slow, investments low, wage yeah. growth slow. So yeah. we have a weak, you know, a weak um, government and a condition of anti-politics yeah. as we're not in kind of crisis, but yeah, in a declining like a playing out of capital accumulation yeah. in a fragile world situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other kind of stuff that I kind of wanted to comment on mm. as well, I guess, was like, how does this impact strategy and tactics mm. that might come up in the situation. Mm. And for me, I think, first of all, the real villain of yesterday, yeah. Yeah. Bum, bum, bah, <laughs> was the leader of the Greens, Di Natale. Yeah. Yeah. Richard Di Natale. Richard Di Natale. Yeah. Jesus, I can never say his name properly. Yeah. So, like, quite interestingly, like, I think he was hitting, punching right to hit left. Okay. Right, so, like, he basically framed it as Cory Bernardi was an expression of his extremism. Yeah. And, you know, that we cannot, like, and the problem with the Turnbull government is that they're beholden to extremism. Yeah. And we need the good policies, and they're policies yeah. that people probably agree with, you know, yeah, yeah. support of same-sex marriage, climate change, legislation, yada, yada, yeah, yada. Yeah. But I think if you put this in the context of a yeah. number of statements that come out from the kind of encrusted Greens leadership yeah, yeah. where they want to see their challenge to the left mm. as being the same as the right. That's yeah. what he's talking about, you yeah. know. So 
um, I think, and the tension I think you kind of see there is between like the Greens as a recuperative function mm. and like comrades in New South Wales or in Brisbane who are attempting radical initiatives within it. So, yeah, no, that's right. So boo hiss to him. Yeah, was, I mean, another interesting thing about this, I want to talk a little bit and as we kind of wrap up, I guess, about how like even like on this far right popular side of politics, how they're still stuck in, I guess, a framework which is really entirely neoliberal. So like this morning, a rather omnibus bill is going through. Pauline Hanson, Pauline Hanson's line on this is there shouldn't be any childcare payments because I didn't have them when I was when I was um, when I had children. So you should all just buckle in because we, we're, 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 we're in a budget emergency. Yeah, you know, and she's talking, still talking in this language of, of a neoliberal self-help and be kind of like this, like the debt of God. When somebody please help us with the debt. Yeah, so yeah. So like they're not even doing what the Trump thing is, but you're like, he doesn't even talk about debt. He's not interested in that. He's like, let's spend. We'll build up the military. Yeah. Let's build some roads. Let's well, build everything. Let's we cut taxes spend all and spend more, yeah, right? Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah, well, that's, like, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is that, that I wanted to talk about too. Last thing, of, maybe? Yeah, last things in terms of strategy and tactics. So, you know, I think there is a... Obviously, people are doing really important work against the far right. Yeah. But there's a kind of, I think, almost a desire for Cory Bernardi to be... An Australian Trump, an mm. attempt to replicate his yeah. anti-Trump politics. That's yeah, ha- so some really inspiring, in amazing stuff happening in America against an actual Trump. And I think, yeah, I think that's wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, like, no, totally. Um, it's really important that people con- uh, conflict um, oppose the far right, but I think this is something else that's going on there. Mm. The second is what I've been thinking about is how like a weak government undermines what I've experienced as almost like 20 years of the left political strategy. Yeah. So the left political strategy has been, you know, strong government does something yep. bad, and you go, oh my God, they've done something bad. And yeah. then you, you, kind of, you organise in opposition to that. But if they're not really able to do anything, yeah, yeah. you can't have that kind of reactive politics. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's right. Um, well, they, they failed to get their watered-down legislation to do through the Senate yeah, again. Terrible and innocuous thing. Um, so, like, that's really interesting because then, it's, then it goes to the question of, like, well, actually, if you can't have a reactive politics, you actually need, like, a radical, yeah. and I'm going to use this term and then regret it, affirmative politics, yeah, yeah. you know, in a world of kind of yeah. malfunction and slow decay. Yeah, yeah. You know, how do you build that, right? Yeah, and there's, totally. like, kind of philosophical arguments out there, the Jew, yeah. Negri, yeah. you know, about that relationship. But, like, what does that mean? Actually, practically, and again, I think you kind of see it in the sense of Mm. what's happening in Brisbane around the right to the city stuff. Mm. I'd be interested in listeners to talk about other attempts Mm. where people are actually going, you know, developing a project that moves on its own timetable. Yeah, that isn't tied into the tied into the political structure, or like projects that are acting within the political structure, but are doing it in different and interesting and new ways. Thinking obviously about Jono in um, the Gavin Ward, but also you know people like. um, the new socialist leader in France who's yeah. taking to the election he's taking to the election like um, a 20% tax on robots and also this UBI and also a UBI thing and he's kind of thinking about some interesting I don't know how interesting that will end up being but you know there's certainly some um, there's certainly possibilities within and outside I think the electoral structure because you want to think about how you know if we want a politics that's going to work we need structures some sort of structure and I think that some people are playing with the idea that you know of converting the Democrats, converting the, the French Socialist Party into such a vehicle mm. for that emancipatory project, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm open to anything pretty much as long as we can get out of this mess. Yeah, look, I guess, like, as always, I have my kind of default ultimatism yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah. that. I yeah. know people in Brisbane 
you know, um, avid listeners of Navara yeah, um, yeah, yeah. FM, and yeah. I know that this is something that particularly Ash Sarker and James Butler mm. have been talking about I quite so. a lot, yeah. which is how do you calibrate, like, extra-parliamentary and, and parliamentary efforts. Yeah. Like, I'm willing to be proved kind of wrong yeah. Yeah. Uh, about, yeah, about all this. Open to, yeah. uh, open to the possibilities. <laughs> all right, so I think that's 24 minutes. That's good. Anything Let's else you want to say? No, I think that was covered quite well. There we go. We can kept to our time. Okay, and there was an interruption in the middle. Hopefully it wasn't terrible. No, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. You've been listening to Living the Dream Drops the Bernardi Bomb. I'm going to finish my delicious nitrogen coffee. Lovely. Talk to you next time. All right, bye-bye.